However, standing by right now is the one and the only, Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my, go to my grave testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You go ahead and chop me. Give me a big chop. I'll sell. I'll give you my whole chest and everything. And then I'll look at you like this, and then I'll punch you right in the mouth as hard as I can. (laughs) Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney. I will say right off, I know I sound a little funky. It's not because I'm under the weather. It's because I'm using a different microphone this week. That is because I am on location in Atlanta, and I had to travel light, and I'm actually using this headset that uh, they first gave us when I started the podcast when Hacksaw was with me, and um, not exactly the greatest quality. But they uh, do in a pinch, and especially they pack really well. So I grabbed this so that I could uh, do the lead and the tag out for uh, this week's episode with Kevin Sullivan. We'll be talking more about that. But we're coming off an episode with the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, the second time that he's appeared on the podcast. And I tell you, I just love talking to Ted. I always got along with him real, uh, really well when I was with the WWF. And um, he was a superstar then. I mean, an absolute rock star. And then uh, we've kind of uh, been able to catch up, uh, catch up over the last few years, uh, when um, you know I've seen him at some of the shows and um, some of the other events that uh, I've been involved in with the WWE. And so uh, the first episode we talked about his career and uh, the documentary that was out at the time, talking about his life, the price of fame. And man, you know, if you know his story, uh, he paid a big price because almost lost his uh, his marriage and his family. And, uh, you know, uh, battled back and uh, it's never looked back since uh, he found his faith and has been very much enveloped in that over the years. But uh, I wanted to get him back on because right now he is uh, doing uh, a tour. He's going to get uh, a tour set up here. He's going to do a couple of dates with Hacksaw and they go to these <clears throat> venues. You're going to start in Las Vegas and they're also going to go to Los Angeles, as uh, you would have heard on the, on the podcast and they do these these shows, and you know Jake Roberts does these. He's done a few of them, and uh, it's not necessarily like stand-up comedy. They're basically telling stories about their lives, which in many cases are really funny. And uh, those dates are going to be coming up, so check it out if you're going to be in uh, Los Angeles or Las Vegas during that time, and uh, and uh, be sure and, and check out Hacksaw and the Million Dollar Man. If you didn't listen to that episode, it was great. We talked about a lot of things we didn't cover the first time we chatted on the podcast, so don't miss your chance to see Ted DiBiase 2 on uh, PTSM. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm on this really funky headset, um, but uh, like I said, I'm, I was traveling, and uh, you know I've been teasing this for weeks now that I was uh, up to something, but I was really not allowed to, to talk about it because... Uh, um, you know, it's they have uh, different taping dates going on, so you have to time everything. But uh, 
I can finally do that. I mean, I'm actually here in Atlanta getting ready to do some of the tapings for this. And uh, I'm really, really excited about it. So um, it, it's probably already out at this point. But uh, if you uh, caught NWA Power um, or if you saw the Hard Times pay-per-view, uh, you know that they've got some great stuff going on with the new NWA, uh, Billy Corrigan and Dave Lagana. And uh, they contacted me a few months back and asked if I would be interested in coming on. So, um, you know, we've uh, been going back and forth on it, and uh, we finally worked something out, and I'm really excited about it. And I have now officially joined the NWA broadcast team, and I'm really, really excited about it. Uh, I'm going to be uh, hosting the NWA's new series. It's called Circle Squared. And uh, maybe you've heard about this. It's... um, I don't, know, I don't know if you can describe it as kind of a, um, you know, a tough enough, uh, you know, a, a kind of a, a situation where a lot of these very, very talented independent wrestlers are going to get the opportunity to compete and uh, end up with a contract with uh, NWA and, and appear on NWA Power. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. You'll also see me on NWA Power occasionally there. And um, I'm also going to uh, be bringing wrestling fans the latest from the NWA with various updates, uh, somewhat event center-like, but uh, different. So I'm, uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'll be telling you a lot more about uh, some of the other great content that uh, we are going to be bringing you uh, because of this new partnership, and uh, including some great interviews with all the great NWA current stars and the emerging ones. So... Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun, and that's why I'm here, and that's why it sounds so like I'm talking in a can or something. But uh, I'm uh, just glad I've, I've been able to finally tell you guys because uh, you're probably like, "What the hell is he talking about? Is he going to tell us what the hell?" So um, I'm hoping you're going to come on this journey with me. Uh, we'll continue to do all of our other uh, uh, episodes with uh, Prime Time with Sean Mooney, and uh, you know, uh, and also the. We'll be doing the watch-alongs with the classics from the WWE Network, and uh, you'll be able to catch all of the Vault episodes, but uh, we'll we'll also be doing some other NWA-related stuff, so I'll be telling you more about that in the coming weeks. But in the meantime, we've got another great episode coming up this week with Kevin Sullivan. And Kevin Sullivan, man, what what an incredible career he had, not only in the ring, but um, he became a booker. And, uh, of course, most um, well-known for his time with the WCW. But, uh, and it's kind of all related, I mean, because if uh, you're one of the greats, at some point you were involved with the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance. And uh, he happened to be with uh, NWA's Gulf Coast Championship Wrestling in the early 70s and was the NWA Gulf Coast uh, Tag Team Champion uh, during that time with uh, part of a great team back then, and uh, we chatted about a lot of things, and we had a great time talking. So let's get to it. My conversation with Kevin Sullivan. Ding, ding, ding. Folks, I am uh, really honored to finally uh, get this opportunity to talk with Kevin Sullivan, and he's, uh, you know, when you try and, and, and define him or try and describe him, there's just so many different things you need to talk about because uh, not only was he a, a tremendously successful wrestler, but uh, also involved in the business uh, of booking and then also having a great influence on some of the greatest organizations in wrestling. So uh, we'll see where we go in this conversation because we have a lot to cover. But Kevin, I am so glad that we uh, finally hooked up. How are you? Well, 
I'm doing great, but I'll, I'll just like to drop uh, something on your your people out there. Sure. I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time. Oh, wow. Uh, you are a credit to your profession. I could never do what you do. And uh, you're right up there in my mind with the credible re- uh, announcers of all time meeting. Uh, J.R., Lance Rockstone, Gordon Soley, and you. And to me, um, if there was a Rushmore, you'd be the you'd be <laughs> up there. The, and I mean that sincerely, yeah. because I used to watch your product when you had to sell some stuff <laughs> the bananas had rotted already for four days, and you made it look uh, like they were fresh. Well, them. you know, Kevin, I, I learned from one of the best, and that happened. That was Oker, uh, Gene Okerlund. And uh, I always say that, you know, there's there's Gene Okerlund, and then there's the rest of us uh, from, one, from, from my perspective and what I did in the business. But I, really, I uh, really appreciate you uh, saying that. That's very nice of you. That's uh, uh, quite, a, a, quite a group to be associated with. Yeah, and you know, you just said Gene was one of a very dear friend of mine. Yeah. And Gene had that sense of humor, mm-hmm. and I can remember things Gene would do that would be tongue in cheek to most people, but yeah. the way he did it, <laughs> it got over. I I'll never forget the time. Some of our listeners probably. Don't even remember this, Sean. Do you remember the time that uh, Bam Bam Big, not Bam Bigelow, uh, the uh, the other big boy that just died? Uh, oh, Kong King Bundy? Kong Bundy. King Kong Bundy. Yeah. Yeah. When he gave Hogan the squash in the corner like five times. Yeah. And one of the things that stuck out in my mind, and this isn't written down for anybody, Gene says, America won't sleep good tonight until they find out that Hulk Hogan's health is okay. And just little lines like that was the thing. Putting the dot at the end of the, the sentence the period at the end of the sentence, it made it sound like this is really a bad injury and he's forced not to say it. And uh, he, he was uh, very, uh, very good at that to keep anticipation. I asked him one time and I think he was very right. I asked him about uh, how did he go about getting something over? And he said to me, always remember this. Anticipation isn't greater than reality because the next week we get her appear again. But he, 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 he was great. You're right. Oh, man. But you learned. That's why you're so good. You learn with the best. Yeah. Uh, well, and you know, you mentioned how Gene was and, you know, if you were around him a long time, he had, he had his go-tos that things he would say. 
and his timing yeah. it was like his timing or the way he would drop some it didn't it to me it was like the first time i heard it i mean he still would just you know i'd drop uh in laughter because he just the way he would deliver things and he had a lot of th- a lot of you know uh, inside you kind of mentioned there that he would kind of have these inside uh, jokes or that he would have with other superstars or other personalities and he would he would cut, you'd see them peppered in when he did these conversations with the guys and it was just classic i look at them now i go back cuz there's a lot of the stuff is on the network and on youtube and uh he just there's nobody who's ever been like him and uh, really i miss him so much i think i think we all do and that says something yeah. in a business that can be somewhat callous yeah everybody you know was a gene fan Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, uh, as we get back to our conversation here, uh, you've, you had uh, such a, an incredible journey. Uh, you know, I don't want to say as just a wrestler, or just as, uh, you know, but all the things that you did along the way. And uh, I recently saw an interview that you did, um, and I just found it so interesting of your understanding of storytelling, really. And that's what it all comes down to that I think we've lost a lot of, of how it's done. And I, I specifically remember you uh, talking about how where you would, some of the best uh, success you found were where you were at places where you could let a story develop. Not so much in the, you know, I mean, of course you would do the storytelling in the ring, but also having the time to have a story develop. And that just doesn't happen anymore. And you think that that's one of the biggest problems we see is where uh, it's not as popular as it once was? Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, I think that what happens today, and I may be mistaken, is we rush everything. Yeah. We rush everything. You know, we don't take our time. We don't go from chapter one to chapter two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I did my angle, it was really a bizarre angle. But the thing was, I just didn't come up with that angle. I had gone to Singapore and Malaysia and Jakarta for a number of months uh, and Samoa and uh, Tonga. I spent a uh, like... I was spending eight or nine months a year there, and I and I didn't just sit in the hotel. I went around and I went to I went to cave temples that were twenty five hundred years before the time of Christ, hmm. and then I, I I try to learn about the difference of uh, this. You know, they basically they were. Uh, Pagans and in the sun gardens, how the rain god associated with the water and the feast and the famine and all that. So I got to study it. So when I got to start my first interview I ever did, and I I have never talked about this much. Uh, the first interview I ever did, Dusty did. God bless Dusty. Dusty did an amazing angle. He brought me in where I had been a babyface in Florida for years, 
and went away, and I was the booker uh, in, in the Knoxville Territory, which was owned by Jim uh, Crockett and Blackjack Mulligan mm-hmm. and Rick Flair. And when, I, uh, when that went away, they brought me back to Florida. And they did interviews of baby faces saying, don't trust this guy. He's not the same guy. Uh, he's a changed man. You can't trust him. And Dusty actually split the baby faces around where some of them believed in me and some of them didn't. He went as far as Steve Kerr, who's a dear friend of mine, wasn't in the territory and said, I hate to say this about somebody that was a dear friend of mine, but he's not the same guy. Then Mike Graham, on the other hand, said, the guys that are saying this about Sullivan, a blackjack mulligan who's had a uh, worse reputation at times than blackjack mulligan. And, you know, then he mentioned uh, uh, Bugs McGraw, too. He said, Bugs McGraw uh, had a bad reputation. So, what are we going to judge this guy before we give him a chance? And I went out and I made an interview and I was saying, hey, uh, you can't erase time. Yeah. I did some bad things. I hopefully learned from I'm not saying I'll never make a mistake again. And after that, Dusty built on that. And it was, I started at point A because things kind of, Sean, things fell in. I couldn't fell fallen in any better for me. Yeah. First MTV came out with, you know, Billy Idol and Michael Jackson at the time. And then, you know, Cindy Lauper and everybody hit upon that. And when I finally did get a promo on Dusty, I went out and said, hey, there's no more American dream. Mm. We are a third-rate country. We've just got out of gas lines. We uh, we 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 went from being a generation of the greatest generation of all times to people in standing in lines trying to wash people's windshields. Yeah. What has happened? And I went, and then each week we went further and further. Then I started to put a little. I make up on underneath my eyes and not that it was like a aesthetic look. It was like I was up all week and I say stuff like during the interview, I break the interview off and say, Oh, by the way, you Brown LTD, I see you following me. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And, and I had also dusty, and Eddie Graham supporting me. And- uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And you, you mentioned, and now, and when you were talking about that, I'm thinking layer by layer, you're building a character. And, you know, back then, uh, there was a distinct line between baby faces and heels, and you were on one right. side or the other, and you said, like, you come from this baby face, but that you had the time to 
uh, and the support. Like you said, if you wouldn't have gotten the support from people like Dusty and these other tremendous baby faces, and, and uh, that probably wouldn't have happened. But as I said, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't mean to say like wrestling isn't as popular as it, as it was back then because it is very popular. We see some of these organizations, you know, that are emerging, that are doing very well. But I'm saying like the, 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 the time to tell stories and I, maybe it's our culture. People don't have the attention span anymore. They want to see it happen right then. But you look back at some of that and like what you did. And you said like you just drew people in where they didn't, they didn't really know. Maybe this guy's falling apart. Uh, you know, and, and, and you were, and you were able to develop these storylines and was, was it, uh, back then, did you, were you able to plot these changes, how things would go along like weeks and weeks in advance, or was it kind of a, you know, you, you just kind of advanced the, the character as you went along? I, uh, was very lucky. Yeah. Thus, you know, I were very close, uh, and he allowed me to book my stuff because I just heard recently Jim uh, Eric Bischoff say that when he was looking for someone to hire to get eaten <laughs> that this is you need to hire Kevin and <laughs> that's a great compliment things, yes it was yeah. one of the things too was you hit it on the head I don't think in today's day they would give me that much time and effort because, you know, and, and I also think some people have great fortitude like Dusty. He went on the line because he chose me as I was okay. And he even brought up that he made mistakes because when Dusty came to Florida, the biggest turn of all times uh, in wrestling at that time was Dusty turning babyface because he was such a big heel. You know, he saved Mike with Park Song Nam, and it was a perfect uh, fit. You know, the Vietnam War was going on. Yeah. So Dusty uh, uh, kind of allowed me to go. I'd have to get things okay by him. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but in today's day and age, Sean, I'm not so sure that they would allow me that time because, as you said, and you know better than I, boy, the attention span. I just read a funny thing, Sean. In the last year, the average movie has fallen 16 minutes in time length. Yeah. You know, and... You know, I, and, I'm, and I don't want to ever come across as an old-timer and all, uh, a guy complaining about guys' talent. First of all, I want to say, the younger talent today are much more talented than we were. They're, they're in better shape. They take better care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a storyline. I'd like to see them change something. There's a few things like uh, maybe we don't have to do all those flips. Maybe you could get a hold and put a, a, a wrestling uh, hold on once in a while. And uh, 
they, they've done a remarkable job, but they've grown up on game shows. They're playing, you know, uh, video games every night. That everything is bang, bang, bang. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an Avenger, a Marvel uh, enthusiast, but the building falls on him and he shakes it off. And not, that's not, it's not Hulk. It's uh, Thor, uh, Doctor Strange, all of them. So there's no selling. So if you're growing up for like the last 15 years of the Thor match, uh that's just normal for you. There's yeah. no selling. So uh, there's got to be a little bit of, okay, we're going to sell a little bit more because eventually you, you've seen uh, the Contra guys, Joseph and Fatu, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've been through four generations of the Samoans. There's a toughest humans on the planet. (laughs) Yes, there's a there's a disproportionate number of them uh, in pro sports, especially football and rugby, and that they're tough, tough guys. Uh, but. As they've gotten to wrestling like Fatu, not disrespecting any of the Samoans and Tongans. You know, I, I've been have the had the luxury of working with every one of them mm-hmm. in some capacity, either uh when I was in charge or when I was wrestling. I have the most utmost respect for the guys. They do, I mean, could you imagine if they ever said, well, we're not going to lose. We'd have a, a Samoan champion forever, right? Yeah. Or a Tongan champion. Probably if they're shooting. <laughs> yeah. They, they just want the whole people. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they're, and where I was going with this is Jacob, is probably technically, and again, please no disrespect to Barbarian Haku, especially. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, he he is probably the best of the best because he's got to sit on the knee of his grandmothers and watch these guys. Yes. Yeah. And even him at his size back in, I, 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 when you were doing TV, I'm sure they would say, oh, he can't do that. He's too big, right? Yeah. It's like now the big guys say, well, I want to show them I can do that. And I think that uh, ha- ha- Haku is going to, uh, is, he, I actually saw him change and do a few things. And he's, you know, he drew money his way, but he seemed to, that you have to adapt or you die. And he's 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 adapted quite well. And his boys, 
So, I mean, I can understand the complaint from the old-timers saying, well, it's too much, it's too much. Yes, it is, but it takes somebody in authority to say, no, let's just tone it down slightly. Let's not go up to, I always equate things to baseball. Let's not go up every time we go to the plate and swing at the first pitch. Let's let a pitch go by and let the people see what's going on. So, I, I mean, the, guy, the, the talent today is it's spectacular. Yeah. No, they are. And there's no question yeah. about that, that the physically and, uh, you know, and they, and they, can step in front of a microphone and, and uh, do very well. Um, but I think in, there's some part of it that's really out of their control because, uh, you know, back in the day um, uh, when you were working in all these different territories and God, there's well over 30 of them across the country. Um, you spent a lot of time in cars and with a lot of these uh, veterans, I'll call them, who would just, uh, just the fact that you're in this car for this many hours and you were talking about the business, well, that was your classroom. So you, you learned, and they, they don't really have that uh, ability anymore. These guys fly into cities and, you know, and then they go to the arena and uh, they, aren't, they aren't doing shows as much, every, you know, not doing it six or seven times a week. So you are going to lose something uh, with that, don't you think? Uh, you know, that's the first thing that pops up when guys of my generation start talking. Yeah. It's, we, we learned more going to the town and going home than guys did in the ring. Because if you, you went four guys in the car, were you coming home, three of the guys were telling you how you screwed up and could help you. It was just an amazing era that you had those guys and then he, that could explain it to you. And then yeah. you also had guys at different sizes in the car that could say, well, you can't do that. It doesn't make sense. You're, you're 200 pounds. And Tank Morgan is 380 pounds. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. Right. But if we if we do go around it and add something where he takes three splashes of corner trying to get you, when you do the you know, drop kick on the fourth one, you'll you'll be able to take him down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well. You know, and also, Kevin, you mentioned, and I, and I uh, specifically from that uh, interview you did with Hannibal TV, uh, one of them, that I found really interesting is you brought up the fact that with all these different territories, uh, right. you got you would go to one territory and you'd learn another style, and you could all, and you could recognize where they were, where where they came from. And that had to, uh, you know, make the matches a lot more interesting when you'd get these guys coming from different territories and then stepping into the ring together. Yeah, I'll give you an example. I was, with that interview you're talking about, I was down at PCW Ultra. It was their anniversary show. Uh, Joey and Fog uh, 2 were there. Yeah. The thing was, when I was in the business... And finally, the light bulb went on my over my head. 
I could tell you, like you said, if a guy came in from San Francisco, if people say, well, how could you tell that? I said, well, if the guy came in from San Francisco, he was doing a lot more high spots. Mm -hmm. He was doing a, a lot less meat chopping. And he was uh, taking bigger bumps. If he came in from Atlanta, he was taking uh, more on the mat. He was taking uh, a hold and working the hold. Uh, if he went in for Texas, you know, Texas was the Funks and, yeah. and the Von Erics. It was wild. And then, again, in Bill Watts' territory in Oklahoma, Bill had a wrestling territory, except the main event was blood and guts. Mm. Uh, Bill didn't use, I've heard people say Bill, Bill used a lot of blood. Bill used blood but he used it at the right time, at the right match, and never or very seldom did he have blood twice on the same night. He would he was very cautious that and I've I've seen Bill even do this, have a bull say Dusty go in there against Ernie Ladd in a bull rope match and then after that match was blood and gore <laughs> The end of the show was Holly against uh, Rick for 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it, you could tell who was booking which way they were going. And what, what gave it the international flair, like I think that PCW is doing, is there's a little bit of something for everybody. And that's where I think... Uh, again, I'm not knocking anybody, but yeah. I think they should have a little bit more of variety for guys like the old time circus. If you didn't like the uh, tight white walkers, if you didn't like the clowns and the cars, hold on because Gunther Gabriel Williams was going to put his head in the car. I yeah. think it was very, very well done. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. amazing uh, that we won't we can't you know we won't see the return of the territories. I mean, uh, Vince made sure of that, and no. and there's and you know the fact that he did change the world of professional wrestling forever in a good way. But it would be right. uh, great to see that because you you'd pick up you know guys today would be able to pick up different things every time they went out and uh, be able to work different territories. But that certainly is going to happen. But it is nice to see though that we do have. Uh, you know, some uh, other competition out there we see with, you know, MLW and uh, NWA is back and uh, also AEW. Um, do you like seeing that happen? And, and, and what do you think the, the chances are of, of those organizations' popularity growing? I see their popularity growing, but the only thing I see negative, and this is maybe um oversensitive about this. Mm -hmm. It seems like they're into this routine where, oh, that got over. I'm going to use that. 
I remember when the chewingest ass I ever got out my life was I used a move in New York that was similar. It wasn't the same move, but it was similar to uh, Stan Hansen's lariat. And I got blistered up and down mm. all the way around for a long time. Mm. A long time for about a 20 minutes that I made sure I never did it again. And the thing is, I think that some of the guys just say, well, you know, <laughs> anything goes, you can take uh, anybody's move and use it. I see the double stomp used, and it's used in a much more creative way than back in my day. Mm -hmm. But they all seem to be using it. It is, and nobody sees something where I've seen some moves where they do the double stomp off the top rope and land on somebody's back, and nothing seems to be uh, an injury that the guy gets carried out of the ring. Uh, to me, if you had that and you did it one time mm -hmm. that a guy got carried out of the ring, when somebody did that, it would change the complexity of the match. People would say, wow, right. that guy, you know, we fall into the mystique again of the willing suspension of disbelief. Wow, right. that guy did it. He's going to have to fight from the bottom. Right. Well, and also, yeah. it, do you fear that, uh, you know, this bar just keeps getting raised and these guys doing these, uh, I mean, stunts in some way. I mean, uh, no disrespect, but, you know, coming off a balcony and doing a flip onto a guy on chairs and uh, that, uh, you know, just that someone's going to get really hurt. And then where do you stop, uh, you, you know? I agree with you, Sean. I agree with you so much because... You know, everything's okay until somebody gets really severely injured. Then yeah. it's not okay anymore. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. Oh, we can't do it anymore. I think there's got to be some kind of responsibility. And again, uh, you and I have seen it from our version that uh, guys get can get hurt, hurt really, really bad yeah. and not even know it. And they're taking, they're taking their career, and I know why, why they're doing it. They're not egomaniacs. They're doing it to be seen. They're doing it to stand out. But what if you have the greatest match of the night and the last finishes you get really really hurt yeah can't work <laughs> yeah yeah and you know not many of them pay you know except big two not many of them pay uh, for your insurance and your uh, hospitalization and that kind of stuff yeah well i just wonder yeah. where it ends and i do i mean i just fear for the guys i just think that uh you know, uh, you know, you go from the days that we remember where you could sell an arm bar for, you know, three minutes. Right. And, but you were telling right. the story, you held that crowd in your hands. And whether it's, you know, what, you know, what side really created this? Was it, 
you know, this move of, uh, you know, having these fantastic bumps in the ring, or is it the crowd that says, you know, you got to keep moving for me, for me to stay with you? I don't know, but I just wonder where, you know, you're going to get to a point where, you know, where does it end? Like you said, does somebody have to really get hurt? Do you, do they have to be off a two-story building coming down, you know? And uh, I just wonder where it's going to end because uh, what it comes down to, and, and I don't think it's ever changed. That's the reason people go to movies, that they want to, they want that suspended belief. They want to be entertained and they want to go for, you know, they want to go for a ride and they want to, you know, have a, a, an ending that gives them some reward back whether they've waited for it for weeks or so, uh, you know, I, I, do you think that that's a big part of it? I think it's a huge part of it. I yeah. think too is, uh, it's like, you know, there was a, I'm not going to mention names, but there was a thing about where a guy gave a power bomb off a, off the ladder and the guy they took the power bomb was up before the other guy. So where's the next step? Yeah. The next step is do you do a double ladder and land on a chair and beat him up, you know, to his feet? I think there's going to be, I mean, it seems to me guys have been around the business like you have who know that the chances are, I mean, I look at some matches and, you know, people are going to say, oh, that's uh, old and and that's not today's day and age. You can do it, but you don't need to do it five times in that match. Right. You know, you can uh, do it once and simulate it. So you're, you're not doing it five more times like I saw a I said, yeah, I went back to like uh, the double stomp. I saw a double stomp where somebody was it was a tag match. They were holding the other one with his back to the turnbuckle, and the guy jumped off the turnbuckle, jumped off the turnbuckle, and landed on his back. Mm. And it was no way he could have worked it. And I could tell he was certain. Of course, he didn't sell it, you know, pro that he is. There's got to be a point where you got to say, okay, if we want to do this, and this was not the only double stomp they did during the match. If we're going to do the double stomp, does every match have to do it? I mean, you you remember when Hanson did his uh, uh, clothesline? You remember when Bruno oh, yeah. did his uh, backbreaker? I mean, Kowalski did his claw hold. Okay, those holds may be outdated today, but if you've got a very special hold, like the RKO, nobody else is using it, I don't believe. Or, and if they are... It's a mistake on their part. That's for sure. Well, then also, if you're doing it and uh, it's not a finisher or whatever, then it, what's it make that guy look like if that is his finisher? You know that uh, how can this not be devastating to this guy when he takes him out and that's the end of the match? And so you know, it's like you said, if you see it five times, it's not spectacular anymore because we've seen it. So uh, what what else you got? What's next? <laughs> you know, it's yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I remember when I first 
worked with the real worst. They came in, uh, business was down. Eddie had uh, just passed on. And they came to me and they said, we have to draw $150,000 a week mm. this week. That doesn't sound like a lot anymore. But back in a small territory when you only have Tampa and Miami, your two biggest cities, that's a big house. And I'm, I'm watching the road wars. I worked with them the first time. It was me and Mark Lohan against them. They came in, they closed the line. My head was turned around like Linda Blair and the Exorcist <laughs> half the match. <laughs> and they gave it to me. I mean, the road wars are road wars. Boy, I said, thank God this won't go like this past them. Nobody else will start using this because they got the okay for hands when they came to the States. Well, next thing you knew, <clears throat> there were guys anywhere from three fifty or buck fifty given a clothesline. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it, it takes away it took away yeah. from the guy that was the owner of that move. Yeah. And I it set, set the wrestling back a little. Yeah. And I you know uh, I, I'm going to ask you a question. Someone asked me the other day, and it was a guy that I admire. I know you. I'm going to put his name out there. I'll put some heat on George. George Napolitano. He's seen everybody. Yeah. I said to George, George, you think there's more wrestling fans today? He said, no, but I think there are more wrestling fans wrestlers and more wrestling organizations today than there has has ever been. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm not so sure about the wrestling fans. Now, I'm not so sure if he's right, wrong, or indifferent. I never thought of it that way. What, do you, what is your take? Well, I think that it's they're more wrestling entertainment fans because you remember... Right. Back in, back when you uh, wrestled, uh, you know, in the the, the seventies and and eighties uh, and beyond, uh, that people that showed up to those arenas were, you know, really smart fans. They were they were into everything that uh, had to do with professional wrestling, and that and they took it very seriously. I mean, uh, like they say, remember down they talk about mid south. If there weren't, you know, if there were five to seven fights in the crowd before. Uh, the matches started, it was going to be a good night. And uh, so I think that's what is what it's become because you'll see, you'll go to some of these arenas now and they have these built-in chants and they start up on guys. And it's not, it, it's not like they're... Back then, you would go to one of those matches and I even remember, you know, with the WWF that uh, people followed the match, everything that was going on and the reaction came with what happened in the ring. So I think an answer to your question right. is that it's it's they're enter, they're wrestling entertainment fans more than I mean there's cer- certainly still some serious serious fans but I think the majority are you know there for the, the entertainment. That's what That's we see with all the answer. explosions and the music and lights and you know it's all yep. part of the show. Yep. That's a great answer. Let me uh, let me throw something at, at you. You know, I hear, you know, 
people. They either love Cornette or hate Cornette, okay? Uh-huh. And what they forget, the people that hate him, is he had to fight his way out of arenas. He had to go to court for lawsuits where he yeah. hit someone with that, you <laughs> know, racket. kind of bracket. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was a whole different ball game. And I, I mean, I, I heard a, uh, Jim Duggan interview yesterday, and he was talking to Cornette, and they were, Duggan said, back in the day, if you lost a fight in a bar or 7-Eleven buying beer, yeah. you were fired. Right, you were yeah. Fired. Bill I Watts mean, would fire you, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that, and Watts got that from Eddie Graham. Eddie Graham had the same thing. Yeah. You know, it was a it was a tough go round. And the other thing was people were like they didn't bring up, hey, is that wrestling fake? They would say, Hey, we really enjoyed your match. That flip how you did go over the top rope like that. How you do it without hurting yourself. And I think some of the younger guys have forgotten what it was like for Jimmy to live through that era. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy has forgotten that they didn't have to live through that era. So, you know, there should be a peace broker on uh, both sides, like the Treaty of Ghent, you know what I mean? Yeah. After the War of 1812. I, I mean, it, it's it's too bad that we can't look at all the wrestling now and enjoy it for what it is. Because I'm I'm a huge wrestling fan. I've been a fan my whole life. And I enjoy... uh, I enjoy everything about it. I enjoy watching some of this phenomenal young talent to arrive and I also love watching some of these guys blossom right in front of your eyes because you can see them every week on TV it wasn't back like in the day when a guy was be in the territory six months and be gone for three years right then yeah. come back you could be back then you could come and have a good run and then go somewhere else and and now you mentioned that um, when when uh, how it was to break in, it wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination. And like you said, these guys don't appreciate it; they don't know the road that was paved for them. But actually, if you tried to get into the business back then, they did everything they could to try and keep you from getting in, and and that was your test. Uh, do you remember stories of of what it was like for oh. you? I know that uh, I think you started training in Montreal and. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, and yeah. then went from there. But what was it like to try yeah, I, and break in then? I'll tell you about my experience, but I'll tell you about the worst I've seen. Mm. I actually started training in Montreal, and I would have some matches on Sunday. This is one the uh, the Vachons and the Rougeos. There was two territories at the same time up there. Yeah. I don't know if you call, you know, okay. 
Yeah, because I uh, well, talked was... to the Rougeaus before. Um, yeah, and then it was that Canadian yeah, was... wrestling was was you know fantastic. There was a third one. It was written by Pat Gerard. Mm-hmm. His name was Pat Curry. And during before the war of World War II, mm-hmm. Pat was working in London, London, sometimes twenty-five times a week. He'd be on the first match. They'd have a Jeez. show for the Rolls Royce to take him on the second one, third one. So, uh, you know, I actually went there with a friend of mine that had been in the business, and I got a very easy going over because I did have a background of wrestling. So, yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, so they they. You know, it was looked upon a little bit different. They knew I knew. And the uh, first time I went out, I was with Fernandes for Shed. If you remember, he was a upper middle card guy and sometimes on the main event. And I'm waiting for, this is my first match. I'm waiting for my friend to give me the finish. And I said, uh, as the I give you a finish yet, the ref. I said, no, nah, no. Nah. And I was on third, and this guy was on second. I said, Peter, when are they going to give me the finish? <laughs> I mean, you know I can't go long. I'm nervous as hell. He said, well, I, you know you know what Fernando's finishes. I said, yeah. It was like a upside-down uh, neck breaker. So I said, yeah. I'll do it. Just tell him. He says, I haven't seen him. So I'm saying, where is he? So, well, I'm I'm ready to do the job, and I know what to do. They sent me to the ring. I still don't know what the finish is. Jeez. I'm I'm so nervous. The bell rings. He's being very nice to me, a real professional. I was green as goose. Uh, he just locked up with me and kind of backed up the ropes and said, Monsieur, listen up. So I'm locked up again. Uh, he, he, understood, he says to me again, Lisa, relax, relax, relax. So finally, about eight, five minutes into the match, now I'm really sweating bullets because the people aren't responding. I fly him near him and I panic and I stomp him very hard on the side of the head. <laughs> well, he ro- he rolls out on the apron, right? Yeah. And he's holding on to the rope. Well, remember the old deal where you would slingshot a guy into the ropes? Yeah, he'd be holding it, yeah. Yeah, well, I didn't know what I was doing, so I hit the ropes as hard as I could, and I hit the ropes about 40 miles an hour. I knocked them back into the third row. Oh, jeez. And there's a, there used to be a wrestler. His name was Charlie Cook. I hope Charlie's still alive. He used to tell the story. Bernard was going back to the dressing room saying, 
screw this, screw this. And I'm jumping on the top rope yelling, come back, come back, come back, please come back. I think I'm going to get, you know. So now I go back, I have to head back to the dressing room. I yeah. say, boy, I'm going to get in the, some kind of altercation back here. I hope it's only verbal. Yeah. I get back there and he says, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, Fernand, nobody gave me a finish. He said, what? He said, nobody gave me. I said, nobody gave me a finish. He was so pissed yeah. that he took it out on the poor referee. He didn't verbally hurt him. I mean, physically hurt him, but he hurt him verbally. Yeah. And he said, never let this young guy go in the ring. And I'll tell him. And he said, and this is what a gentleman was. He said, you be here next uh, I'm not working until late Friday. You be here at noon. We'll work out for two hours. Oh. And he he did that for me a couple oh. of times. Wow. And, and, yeah, but now I'll give you the reverse. Florida was the hottest territory to break in. Yeah. The you know it was like Japan, they, wasn't they it? Have, <laughs> it was, oh. This was, yeah, Sean, they'd have Bob Roop, they'd have Hiro Matsuda, Mike Graham was beating people up when he was 15 years old, they'd have uh, Mike there, when Bob Backlund was there, they had Bob Backlund, they had Steve Kern, Mm. and... They would put they would put the sugar hold on it to hold where you actually choke yourself out. <laughs> well, one day a guy keeps on telling Eddie because Eddie came to TV. We did a Wednesday morning. Oh, I can beat any of these wrestlers. I can beat any of these wrestlers. Just give me a shot. And Eddie, he was trying not to cause an incident. Right. Well, he finally said after a week, okay, come on down. Well, the guy comes down. He's got a mask on. He's got his girlfriend. He jumps over the top rope into the ring. He's got Bob Roop to go through. He's got Jack Briscoe, Gerald Briscoe. Uh, Mike Graham, Steve Kern, when he (coughs) left the building, (laughs) he didn't have a stitch of clothes on, and he was bleeding from his eyes and his ears everywhere. Eddie was so over with the cops, you know, he started the Sheriff's Boys Ranch. The uh, governor gave him a the U.S. flag. Uh, the, I, I, did, I got a, when I was like 20 years old, I got a, a flag from my work with the youth of Miami at the school. Like I, like I was an algebra teacher or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, so <laughs> the cops came back and they said to Eddie, they said, Eddie, we, we're going to let this one go, but 
you got to leave their clothes on. <laughs> he, said, he said, because you're putting us in a bad place. He said, if some old lady sees us, sees us and just throw them in the back, it's like indecent exposure. But, oh, they were, they had, the only people they ever broke in uh, down there that were from there, uh, Dickie Slater, who beat up drum, uh, um, uh, Michael Ocek. Yeah. Uh, they beat up, uh, and Paul Orndorff and uh, Hulk Hogan. And we all know what yeah. they did to Hulk Hogan. They broke, yeah. broke his leg. Yeah, but that's I'm how perfect. it was. I mean, you stepped into the ring. You were, you know, you were theirs. And uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, what a time. Yeah. But we, when you think back, though, I mean, of, of all the places that, uh, you know, you wrestled, um, was Florida your favorite? I mean, did you enjoy that most? I mean, they won the tag team uh, titles at Gulf Coast and also uh, Florida Championship. And it was an incredible territory back then. I mean, I, I can't ima- even imagine what the crowds were like. But uh, is that, you know, being there, is that a really a fond period of your life? Yeah, I have two really fond periods of my life. I got three places that were very, very good for me. San Francisco was very good for me because Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens had left. The territory fell into disarray. Mm-hmm. When I got there, I came up with an angle, and I used my father. I think it was the first time, you know, you used somebody's legitimate father. Yeah. And I had group was supposed to be a member like a, of a family, and he, a made-up brother, he hurt. Shoulder broke my brother. My brother was crippled from the shoulder from it, and lucky behold, we sold out the cop house four weeks in a row, four shows in a row. Wow. And, uh, they were the, it got me to see, uh, how a really high spotted and well booked. They, he was a well, uh, rounded booker. He was no Eddie, but he was very good. But, uh, the funny story was after the four shows I had, they brought in Ray Stevens to be my partner. And I remember going over and I, I said, uh, Mr. Stevens, uh, how do you want me to start the solo to give you to go home because we were going to win? He said, no, kid, I'll do the song for you. This is your town now. And I mm. thought, wow, yeah. what a compliment. You know what I mean? So yeah, absolutely. There, there, and also Knoxville, Ronald Thorne was a gentleman. He did a fabulous job of uh, taking care of the guys. He'd have pa- uh, Christmas parties. There'd be bonuses. Ronald was a, a really a stand-up guy. So those three places are my best. But Florida is like my home. home. And... Uh, I really enjoyed Florida. Yeah. Oh, and it's legendary. I mean, you hear that everybody I've uh, ta- talked with along the way that at some point that played a big role in their, in their career. Many, many, many of them. Uh, but 
you would, you know, have success pretty much everywhere you went. And um, when you, you know, started with, say, you say you mentioned Knoxville and these other places. Also, Memphis was just this other great uh, territory. And uh, I know you worked with, with uh, Jimmy Hart and, and uh, Jerry Lawler, who, of course, right. uh, become legends in the business. But back at that time, uh, did you see the great talent? in those two and and people don't remember of course they remember jimmy from uh his time with the world wrestling federation and wwe of course but uh he was uh, a legendary manager before then and could really uh, help you know if they needed to put over a guy or get a a guy uh, going uh they put him with jimmy yeah when i first got there jimmy had been getting out of the wrestling uh the rock and roll business. So he was only doing it part time. But I remember going to the promoter who was Nick Goulas at the time. And Jerry had a a tag team partner called Jim White. Uh And back then, back then it was a tag team territory. Yeah. And I went, I said, you need to put a rocket on this guy's ass because Jerry not only was a, uh, great psychologist he yeah. was a great bump taker a oh, great God, bump no taker. Kidding. could he sell yeah and 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 on a jealous part of my thing i wanted to work with him because i knew if me and my partner it was Lynn rossi and i worked with him and jim white we would have made some money you know so i mean yeah. it wasn't just another uh, gr- goodness of my heart, I saw some money there right. that we made. Well, it's twofold. Yeah. <laughs> you want to make some yeah. money, but you yeah. also know you had a great talent there. And you want yeah. to work with them. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. That, that's right. awesome. Yeah, and it is. It's, a, yeah. it, you know, the, the, the road that these guys traveled and, you know, uh, what, Jerry was an artist and uh, got into this business and, you know, it turned out being one of the the greatest, and you look at some of the the matches that he was involved in. My God, man, the punches, the, the way he could uh, throw punches, and how he sold—really uh, fun to watch, folks. If you ever uh, have some time, look back at some of those early matches with Jerry Lawler. Um, so, when did uh, did booking start to come into your life? Because was it just uh, an understanding you had of the business, and then they started leaning on you a little bit? How did that all happen for you? I kind of lucked out. At the time, Mike Graham and Eddie had fallen out. Mm-hmm. So I became the sort of like the surrogate son to Eddie. And it put me in a bad position. But Mike, when I when it happened, I went right to Mike and I said, hey, listen, you're, this is a bad position. He said, don't worry about it. So, <clears throat> like, Thursday, we fly to Jacksonville. I mean, we drive to Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. But I would fly with Eddie to Jacksonville after we fished. Mm-hmm. On a Saturday, it was a spot show. It was either Lakeland, uh, uh, St. Pete, uh, Daytona, or uh, some other spot show. And I would I would go fishing with Eddie, you know what I mean? It caused a little heat. 
with, for me anyway, I felt, but it was, Mike was just gracious enough. He said, hey, it's something between me and my father. I don't want to get into it. So he took it like a man. And then uh, when I uh, started to fly with Eddie, one time that this stuck out and I had the right answer right off the top of my head because I watched it. We had a year-end show, and I'm watching the year-end show, and they showed about six, seven matches. And out of those matches, they bumped the referee in every one but one. <laughs> and Eddie said to me, did you watch the show? I said, and I knew I, I had it because I was going fishing with them. I said, yeah. He said, what do you think? Was it great? I said, it sucked. Yeah. That took a lot of balls. But yeah. I, I yeah. knew, him being the mastermind, that wasn't his finishes. I said, you you bumped the referee six times. Yeah. Yeah. How does how often does that happen in a football game? The referee gets knocked down and the football gets stolen? Yeah. He was pissed. So, about... Um, a month later, Dickie Slater was one of his faves, too. Uh, back then, like uh, on Tuesday, Tampa would run, and uh, Fort Myers would run. Mm -hmm. And if they, didn't, if they wanted to calm you down and give you a break in Tampa and not burn you out, they'd send you to to Fort Myers with no direction. They just throw matches together, the guys that were going to Tampa. Yeah. So uh, he called me and, and uh, Dickie in, and uh, he says, listen, I'm going to keep you guys down there for 68 weeks. I'm going to let you book the towns. Mm. You come up with any finishes you want. If if you want some guys, you put them down. Give me two weeks' notice. If I can let them go from Tampa, I will. So that started with that. And then uh, when I went up to New York with Senior, I get Eddie and, and Senior were dear friends. Yeah. And Eddie told Senior that I had a uh, liking for the booking. Uh-huh. So he helped me and let me look at his book because it was I was like a kid got cut, my finger caught in a cookie jar. <laughs> I, I, that's when we did it in Philadelphia where they filmed the original Rocky, right? Yeah. And uh, everybody's out of the room and they're all going to have sandwiches. Because one of the guys, one of the crew for Vince, I don't know if it was Angelo or Tony Altamari, they went and got sandwiches. Well, I went and looked through his book. Mm -hmm. He had Madison Square Garden booked out for the year. He had uh, Hanson getting three matches. He had Brody getting two. Bull Ramos getting one, uh, John Quinn getting one, 
first Anastasiak getting one, winning the belt, then dropping it to Pedro. Mm-hmm. He had, and I, I couldn't believe this. And not only did he have that, Sean, mm-hmm. he had the tag match champions. They didn't have the intercoastal, uh, intercontinental then. But he, they have, uh, you know, the guy that were getting ready to wrestle Bruno, and then they'd have a special attraction. So he had four of his eight matches in the garden booked a year ahead of time. Wow. And I thought, wow. You know, and... that sounds impressive, but it's even more impressive when you figure out you have to book those four matches on TV for a year, too. Head in the right direction. Build them, yeah. And and he was very smart, and and he he actually, uh, and it's well known. I mean, I did this one time in St. Louis. I was in St. Louis on a show in Pat O'Connor came to me and said, uh, you think it's too late to call Eddie at night? I said, no, he's probably just getting in from fishing. He said, uh, give him a call. I want him to go over and finish. So I called him. So the guy wants to talk to you and turn it to him. And, uh, you know, our TV went into New York too on, oh. on the Hispanic station. Uh-huh. So, we, we had that relationship plus uh, Eddie, you know, that's when, you remember when Dusty f- first turned babyface and Billy Graham then too, you know, we we had that connection. So there was they were very dear friends. And because of that, a lot of us got to go up there even before we won the belt. Yeah. Uh, not the belt, but before we went up there, to uh, wrestle full time. Well, you know, and, and booking is not an easy, uh, you know, task. I mean, there's a lot of people just can't do it, and also they let their egos get in the way uh, when they have that control. Uh, right. You know, what was your philosophy behind it, and uh, did you really enjoy it? Oh, I enjoyed it. You know, the philosophy is, I I tried when I got to WCW to keep myself in the middle. So I, my whole thing about the Dungeon of Doom, yeah, that angle to draw Hogan to be a heel. Mm-hmm. And you appreciate this because your, your um, admiration for Gene. Gene... Right, so I'm trying to convince Hogan to turn heel because now they boot him at the buildings, right? Yeah, and he has all his friends, you know, Brutus, uh, the late great John Tenta, yeah, uh, different guys, yeah, but they weren't going to draw money with him again in the South and in the Northeast and the West Coast, that run had been over. Yeah. His run as a baby face had been over. And everybody was against me. Mm. They said, no, he can't turn, he can't turn. So I said, no, this ain't gonna work. So 
One night in Chicago, he came out of the uh, out to do an interview, and he had a black bandana on his head, black crucifix, and black pants. And he cut an interview while he was cutting the interviews that were booing him to death. And he left. Gene saved it. He said, you can feel the ominous mood as the people are yelling about what the NWO is doing. You know what I mean? Right. He could have killed them if he wanted to by not coming up with that kind of line. And so finally I showed him the tapes and I said, you got to do it. You got to do it. Yeah. Finally he agrees. Well, when he agrees, everybody that's making a living off of him doesn't want him to turn baby face. Freaking out. So now they got, we got, we have the match in Daytona. And I said to him, you're the only guy that fits. He said, well, what about me? I said, it doesn't matter. You're the only guy that fits. And people always have said to me, what was your second choice? There was no second choice. I was going to drag him down the ring or or I was going to die. I actually had him stay over at my house that night and sleep in one of my bedrooms. I had another extra bedroom. I wouldn't let his manager sleep in there because he was trying to talk him out of it at the very last minute. Yeah. And when we turned, and when we turned him, you know, you could see with the trash that was in the ring back yeah. then. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. It was one of the greatest turns, if not the greatest turn of all times. Well, and also look what it did to the uh, world of professional wrestling. Yeah. It, it changed everything forever, right. and we had, uh, you know. Right. NWO and what it did and uh, the Monday Night Wars and the rest is history. But yeah, but that was that incident uh, changed everything. Uh, who knows what would have happened with his career? It probably would have just fizzled. And, uh, you know, uh, but man, it uh, it's amazing. And it's funny that you said that. I thought about that yesterday. Yeah. If he didn't go along with it, now he would have had a been fighting the NWO. And you got to remember this, too. He wasn't a Hulk Hogan of 10 years ago. Nash was twice his size. Razor looked like an Adonis. Yeah, yeah. The only guy that he could bump around, really, would have been Sean Waltman, who doesn't get enough credit in my mind. Uh-huh. Because he was the perfect one. If you're sitting in that arena, you're saying, "Well, I can't kick the shit out of this seven foot monster, uh-huh. and I can't beat up this Adonis, but I know I can kick the shit out of that kid." You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. It's a, it is. It's amazing how you know you can speculate as much as you want, but it would have uh, been a completely different story. The WWF would have never have. Uh, lost the ratings war and uh, WCW probably would have folded a hell of a lot earlier. It's just, it's amazing how it all happened from that, from that incident. Um, but right. how crazy was it though, as, as you know, like you, you talk about how difficult it was even to make, you know, for that to happen. And that's certainly understandable uh, to have Hulk Hogan turn, 
But uh, at that point, and especially you're talking well into the 90s, uh, that, uh, you know, it must have been crazy at WCW, especially uh, trying to convince people to do certain angles because they all had their own agenda. Yeah, what had happened, and uh, it's funny, it's 15 years later, uh, Eric Bischoff has said some kind, kind words about me. Yeah. I, I, uh, Conrad asked them whose ideas were they because, you know, he's got the 83 weeks, right? Yeah, right, right. He said, 90% of them were Kevin's and the other 10% he was involved in too. And then uh, just lately he said something again too. He said uh, when the, now that All In is talking about the second show, I guess. Yeah. Having a second show. He said uh, Conrad said to Eric do you think it's going to help him or hurt them? He said, I should have listened to Kevin because he wanted to put on two separate shows, not have the guys on the same show, you know, twice a week. where We're burning them out. <laughs> and not only that, we're burning their contracts out. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Their contract dates. Mm. And Thunder was, you know, we still had Saturday night. Thunder was Thursday, and it was looked right from the beginning as a secondary show. Yeah. And I, I thought that was a bad deal for it to do. Hmm. So, so was it constant warfare, though, trying to get those ideas across? I mean, it, uh, like, I mean, Eric, probably, uh, like you said, he appreciates it now, but how how tough was it then? Yeah. Oh, then it was murder. Then uh. it was murder because. <laughs> It's like anything else. How I got the job was Hogan actually came to me and said, can you get this thing done? I said, yeah, it ain't that tough. You got, you got the 1927 Yankees. And if you can't, if you can't have Babe or Lou got one out of the park once in a while, you're, you're in deep shit as it is. Yeah. So once I had that, and once it started rolling, people then started to say, oh, I got a good idea. I'd had this happen to me three times a, a week, a, a day. <laughs> yeah, really? I would come in and say, I got a great idea. I got a great idea. I'd say, yeah, what is it? It'd be yeah. for himself. I'd say, when is there a good idea for somebody else? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, it, it's just amazing when you look back at that period of time, and and of course, it's it's great to look now because uh, it worked. But uh, right. the blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, going through that. I don't know. Like, there had to be days you were just ready to walk out the back door. Oh, without question. And yeah. I'll tell you what, Eric had those days too. Eric. Uh, you know, Eric had a lot of guys that Eric's a loyal guy. I found that out. Yeah. I, I mean, much more loyal than anybody will ever know. Yeah. And I found out how loyal Eric is, but then he started believing 
in some people that maybe he shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, hey, let, let me tell you, say this right off the bat. Yeah. He did an amazing job with his hands tied behind his back. Huh. I can remember one time he went over when AOL bought that. Right. And he said, it's over no matter what happens. Right, yeah. They didn't want wrestling on their program. Yep. Because he, they felt it was beneath them. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it was a hell of a run, you know, that's for sure. And, yeah, and you know this. Sean, Eric, I mean, Vince was the only person he had to worry about. Yeah. You know, he didn't have to worry about uh, the North Tower or uh, powers of creativity or uh, not uh, or using. They had they had me, or they put me on the rug one day and said, you use the word inter- uh, uh, foreign object. You can't yeah. do that. It has to be international. I about shit my pants. <laughs> I said, you got to be crazy. International object. What are you talking about? Okay. So, yeah, yeah. You yeah that, that, that yeah, that doesn't even a joke, right? Yeah. That's just that's unbelievable that yeah. they. Yeah. But you know, when you get people who have no, no idea what, uh, about the business, probably even sports that matter, you know that uh, that are suddenly pulling the right. strings. It's yeah, you're doing. Right. Well, as we wrap this up, though, I wanted to. Uh, to ask you because I think it's good advice for a lot of people and, and wrestlers as well that uh, you know it seems that you managed your money well uh, it, while you were in the business, which we know a lot of them didn't. Uh, right. Were you aware of this as a as, as a young person, or when did you say uh, maybe you know you had some business acumen? I don't know, but what what do you credit that, and what is your advice to to uh, young people? Well, I did have some business acumen because my brother was in the construction business for Dartmouth University. In fact, when my brother retired, Dartmouth gave my brother a black tie affair. And they paid, he was the head of the construction business for Dartmouth, the hospital that's the brand new ones that's built. Uh huh. Yeah. When he finished, he finished and he retired the week it opened. They paid him two years to get him back, hmm. and he didn't go back. And what I learned is you got to take figure out what you can live on, whether, if you can put 35% away because stuff is going to get expensive. Yeah. And if you can put a 401K or something or, I bought some real estate, and I was lucky. Yeah. I bought real estate in uh, places that – I bought real estate in the Keys. John, at one time, my property, when I bought it, this is when the boom came, and I got rid of it, thank God. Yeah. I uh, At one time, it was worth seven times what I paid for it, wow. and I ended up – selling it for six times what I paid for it. And then I had the gym, which I put a million dollars of cash in, and I did well with that. You got to, for all the young guys, the 
listening out there. You gotta put something away. I don't care if you're if you're making four hundred bucks a week and you need to put a hundred dollars a week away because if you don't you're you're not gonna have that hundred that you say you're gonna save later. You need to save now. Yeah. And what if you if you save a hundred dollars a week, that's fifty two hundred a year. And if you're smart enough to put it into some equity or something, you'll have a bit more money. And then when you start making money, you'll be able to invest in different. Um, whether it's real estate, stocks, bonds, whatever you want, you have some money to do it on. Yeah. But you think about uh, back then, uh, and, you know, you didn't make a lot of money in wrestling back back then, uh, you know. And no. I think of people like, uh, you know, Jerry and Jack Briscoe, who, you know, right when they started, they had that uh, that in their mind, and they ended up being very successful. And like you said, it doesn't matter if you're making like you said, $400 a week, and you're like, well, God, i got to pay my rent and all that. But if you can put something away and get into that habit and uh, right. start investing, and I said this, I'm, I've got my kids doing this, that it, you know, you think it's nothing now, but it adds up. It really does. And so I, I just admire people like you who did that back at a time when it was, it just was, people didn't do it. I mean, especially, I just remember the, there's so many of these superstars that you you know at one point, God, they were probably making a quarter of a million, maybe even more a year, and they got nothing because they just blew yep. it. Yeah. So sound yeah. advice. And, and if I can give the soundest advice, yeah. it all ends sometime. Yeah. I don't care who, Hulk Hogan, yep. Tom Brady, uh, who named me? Uh, but like I said, baseball, Mike Trout, it's going to end for him too. Yeah. You gotta save money. And one of, the, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the most brilliant guys in the wrestling business financially. I love talking to him uh, on uh, sports, especially baseball. Uh, art, he's much smarter than I am. My, my wife's an artist and she drags me. She took me to the loo for eight hours. I actually said to her, my head is so big, it's so full of ideas, I need to get out of here like in the elephant man, right? Yeah. But uh, Kevin Nash is one of the smartest guys I have ever met. And Kevin has taught a lot of people about saving money. One of them was Jay Lethal, and I don't think Jay would mind me saying that. Kevin is a smart guy, and he got to a position where he's very comfortable in his life. Yeah, made some good money and yeah. did something with it. Yeah. Well, Kevin, yeah. this has been an absolute pleasure, really. I'm I'm glad that uh, we finally got a chance to chat, and I uh, I hope I run into you somewhere down the road. Uh, do you are you active on all any of the social media, or is there any way people can get uh, in touch with yeah, you? By... What happened? I had more people 
using my name and putting themselves on YouTube, right? Mm. Oh, boy, yeah. Yeah. And what happened was they were getting booked <laughs> in this local area where I live, as far as Idaho and Wisconsin, and saying I was sick and I couldn't make it, but they sent me instead. Well, you know, here are the people purchasing me to do a autograph session right. and the guy has three heads it may look better than mine but you know <laughs> I'm, I'm getting a new one made as we said I'm getting a bunch made so I'll let you know for a fact and I hope to see are you, are you going to be in Tampa my friend no I won't be in Tampa but uh, I will be uh, at a show in Jersey in April so I don't. I don't get out much for those other ones. I may be at that show. Is that Andrew Anderson show? I think so. Yeah, it's in. Uh, yeah, um, Freehold. He's a good friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. I'll be yeah. looking forward to seeing you again, my friend. Wow! Really, really enjoyed that conversation with Kevin. You know, I. I never know how long these conversations are going to be because you just don't know. I mean, I've had some that have lasted, uh, you know, like 30-something minutes. But uh, Kevin was was great, and we just uh, had a lot to talk about. I mean, he just had, just had such a, uh, an interesting career, and he worked with everybody and really was, uh, you know, he was a main eventer for a while and uh, really knew the business well and was a talented booker. And uh, he he talked about in that conversation that, uh, you know, at the time, um, uh, he and, and Eric Bischoff didn't exactly get along great. But since then, you know, as time goes on, you kind of look back and uh, Eric gives him a lot of credit for what they were able to accomplish during those Monday Night Wars. And, uh, you know, he's just living a great life now. So I really want to thank Kevin for coming on and uh he, he texted me and, and you know told me how much he enjoyed it and he said yeah let's do it again so you know down the road i'd love to have kevin back on he's just a lot of fun to talk to and i did actually get a chance to meet him because our paths never crossed when i worked with the wwf but i uh, saw him at um one of the aew events and uh, just a great guy really uh, enjoyed talking with kevin so much going on though right guys uh you know uh, i i wanted to um, you know not just put that episode out i wanted to tell you what was going on and again i'm really excited to announce that i have now joined the nwa broadcast team um i, I don't know if you checked out hard times their pay-per-view event and uh wow I, I, you know it's just it's just fun to watch what they're doing it's it's so different than the other product out there and every week they just keep getting better and better and uh, I really am excited to be a part of it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I hope you're going to join me for the ride. And as I mentioned before, I'll have more on what uh, we're going to be up to uh, next week, so stay tuned for that. And I really want to thank you guys. You've been uh, such great listeners, and we've just got a lot more coming your way. Uh, But in the meantime, thanks for listening once again. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. (laughs) 